You're listening to the Guest of Horror, and on this week's episode, we've watched the bleakest Christmas movie ever made. Happy Holidays! Welcome to the Guest of Horror. I am your host, Boris. On each episode of this podcast, I introduce you to someone within the horror community that I think is worth getting to know. On this week's episode, I am joined by Uncle Pete, who runs a YouTube channel called Your Friendly Neighborhood, Uncle Pete. And uh, we talk a lot about slasher movies. The only thing I wanted to say before we jump into the interview is that uh, I'm going to take a break over Christmas, and then I'll be back in January with at least one new episode in January. I hope everyone has a nice holiday season, and uh, for now you can enjoy this episode I did with Uncle Pete. Okay, I am here with uh, Uncle Pete. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, I appreciate this. This is I'm looking forward to this. We got a good movie to talk about. It's nice getting to know each other, and um, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it's gonna it's it's, it's gonna be fun. Do you want to tell the listeners right away about uh, your YouTube channel and and sort of how you got started with that and 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 what's your what your deal is, man? Sure. I, yeah, I'd love to. Um, my YouTube channel is called Your Friendly Neighborhood Uncle Pete. I started it less than four months ago, and um, I pretty much started it as a hobby. Uh, I retired from the military about four years ago. Then I went to night school and got my degree in criminal justice. After that, I really had nothing to do because I'm a house husband right now because I'm retired from the military, so I kind of needed a hobby. And I love horror movies. Um, I love comic books, so that's how I got my nickname, Uncle Pete, because it's comic book related. I go by your friendly neighborhood, Uncle Pete. And um, I decided what kind of channel should I start? I didn't want to just do movie reviews. And I'm like, well, what do I like about movies? And I was like, my wife gives me a hard time. Like, you always pick apart people in movies and talk about the dumb decisions they make. You ruin it for me. I was like, ooh, maybe that's my hook. So me and another YouTuber, Carlin Cook, we discussed it. I threw some ideas by him. I was like, how about I rate the kills in horror movies, do a kill analysis, and see you know, how the kill could have been avoided by the victim. And I needed a, you know, what's my hook? How do I call it? And I came up with nails in the coffin. So one nail, you did something stupid, like you didn't double tap. You know, we scream at movies. How come you're running upstairs instead of running outside? You know, when you yell at the screen. So I was like, yep, that's a stupid decision. So you get one nail in the coffin. And I go up to four nails in the coffin for a really honorable death. And my favorite reference for that is Detective Ray Cameron in Night of the Creeps. Or in Charles Play 3, when that young kid jumps on top of the grenade. A four nails in a coffin is a really brave way to go. You fought hard. You didn't make any dumb decisions. You know, you died with your boots on, so to speak. I was like, you know what? That's what my channel is going to be. So I got about 15, 16 videos up right now. Um, I get one up a week. I'm a baby channel. I only got 103 subscribers. But I'm thankful for every single one of them because I've been doing it less than four months. And I'm still having fun doing it. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm just looking forward to see how much I can grow this channel because it's it's a fun time. Yeah, hell yeah. I I 
I think your the hook of your channel is really good because I started watching the video and I'm like, oh, is this gonna be like a kill count thing? Like, is he is he gonna say, is this a good kill? Is this a bad kill? And I was like, because you know there are a ton of people on YouTube doing that, uh, so I was like, oh, you know, oh that that was maybe okay. I didn't know how to feel about that. And then when you started explaining it and be like, no, this is actually a way to look at um, slasher movies right now uh, specifically. Uh, I, I I've noticed you've done a lot of slashers. Mm-hmm. Um, but like looking at these movies and sort of just studying the writing of them. And that's one thing I realized since I've now I'm doing a kill analysis on this, I realized that the writers almost have to write these characters as stupid, so to speak, because otherwise there'd be no movie. If everybody gets stuck with common sense and paid attention, you know, you double tap the person or you don't just think that they're dead and run away. You know, there'd be no movie. Nobody would die. So the writers almost have to make these people make dumb decisions so the slasher or the killer can actually get the kill. So that you realize, oh, they, they wrote it this way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can have characters make dumb decisions in movies. It just has to be believable as well. So it's it, it's an interesting thing. And uh, yeah, as I said, you, you, you've done a lot of slashers. Are, are you big into slashers? I figure... Um, Slashers is the easiest for my channel because I really can't go supernatural. Like if I did Nightmare on Elm, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, it's kind of hard to do that because Freddy Krueger is supernatural. So you really can't argue that if you did this or did that, you'd get away from him. So I've been sticking more towards a human killer in a slasher where like the victim actually has a chance. Like Hellraiser, I don't really feel I could cover. Maybe eventually I will cover, you know. Yeah, yeah, that would be difficult. Yeah, I will cover a movie. Maybe it's more supernatural, but 80 slashers, like um, if you're familiar with the documentary In Search of Darkness, it covers the majority of 80 slashers, and so much good stuff came out in the 80s. And if you look at my channel now, the majority of my movies came out in the 80s. Yeah. You know, because of the slashers, and that's kind of – well. That's kind of what I'm shooting for because 80s slashers are near and dear to most horror fans, I think. And and, uh, and speaking of 80s slashers, I know you're a big you're a big, big Child's Play guy, right? Yeah, I've covered all the Chucky movies. I started with Child's Play and I went through all seven movies on my channel, one every week. And um, yeah, people were asking, are you going to do the TV show? First off, I was pleasantly surprised with the TV show. I thought it was going to be watered down because it's on television, but nope. It, it was it was fantastic, and I'll probably cover like two or three episodes at um, at a time since it's only like two or three kills in each episode. So the beginning of the new year, I'll probably cover like the first three episodes or the first two episodes on my channel, going over to you know the new kills from Chucky. Yeah, cool. I, I rewatched that whole series. Um, well, I actually hadn't seen some of the later ones, but I, I watched all of them this year in preparation for the uh, show and i wanted to ask you what you what you thought about the show but uh big fan apparently yeah so so good yeah. and it's i think the reason is so good because we got don mancini um behind the helm and he you know he was the original creator of chucky it was very near and dear to him so when you get somebody who loves the character to write all these other movies and tv shows the passion is there and it comes out yes um i i love how you know, Chucky sort of evolved into this like wild card character. You can sort of put him in any situation <laughs> and be like, yeah. uh, well, this is a family drama, but now Chucky's there. This is a road movie, but now Chucky's there. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I've only seen a couple of episodes of the show, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's probably the best Chucky has been in a very long time. Yeah, it's really, really good. We're not going to talk about the remake because I think the remake is crap, <laughs> but <laughs> hey, I'm, I, you know what? I'm, I thought that movie was okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, you know that's that was like my movie hot take. I thought that was fine. <laughs> Mark Hamill, I will give credit. Mark Hamill is the reason that movie's even watchable because Mark Hamill as the voice of Chucky. I got to give credit. He did great as the voice of Chucky. He's a phenomenal voice actor. Yeah, I I guess this is like a part of why I wanted to bring up Child's Play because I I feel like I'm so out of step with the fandom of Chucky. Like, I do not know what movies are considered, like, the best. I'd say the first two, Child's Play and Child's Play 2. When we on, um, you know, Josh from Movie Timelines, I was the guest on his Dead Last episode where we ranked all the Chucky movies. And the top three were Bride of Chucky, Child's Play 2, and Child's Play. Those are the three favorites out of the whole. Um, all seven. But all seven are pretty solid. I, I would say all seven are definitely worth you know a couple of viewings a piece. But the yeah. most popular are Child's Play, Child's Play Two, and Bride of Chucky. All right, I, I'm gonna out myself here. I think Seed of, Seed of Chucky is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> really? I didn't mind. I, Seed. I, did not, I did not mind Seed as much as everybody else did. I really did not mind Seed. Okay. It, okay. it was not the now, when you compare Seed to the other Chucky movies, it's not great, but it's better than a lot of other regular horror movies out there. It's just when you have such an iconic franchise, you're stuck comparing it to the other movies in that franchise, and that can actually hurt it. And I think that's what kind of happened with Seed of Chucky, because people are comparing it to Bride of Chucky, which came out right before it and brought a chucky is a huge fan yeah i know i I mean here's the thing here's why i feel out of step because i don't really love bride of chucky either (laughs) um okay here's the thing i guess you know it's strange because all these movies have comedy elements like the chucky tv show i like and that's comedy you know uh and and the late cult of chucky uh i thought was uh, pretty good as well and i it has a lot of comedy there's just something about uh both bride and seed of chucky like the comedy just doesn't work for me at all and and you know some of the worst movie experiences you can have is like a comedy that you don't find funny because at that point it just becomes painful and you know what i feel that same way about the scream movies oh really that's interesting i like the first scream movie i can't stand the other scream movies okay i feel the same way it to me it feels like scary movie it feels like a parody and it just it doesn't sit with me because I'm like, I don't know if this is supposed to be funny or not. I can't take it serious. Because after Scream came out, Scary Movie came out, and that was a funny parody. And then we had Scream 2, 3, and 4. To me, I felt like they were just another scary movie. Just make it – it was – it was too meta for its own good. Okay. No, no, totally. I, yeah. I mean, this, this is the thing about comedy, right? Like it either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, like it just becomes painful. Yeah. And that's the cool thing. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean the next person, it, it's not a bad movie. It's, it's just not for me. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I said earlier, I think people get constru- um, confused where their opinion with fact. Yeah. I don't dislike somebody who hates these movies like Josh from movie timelines. He has a vehemently hate for Rob Zombie's Halloween movies. I love those movies. They're they're horrible and white trash yeah, and just yeah. 
Michael Myers is brutal. I like those movies, but Josh and I are amazing friends. You can't hold it against somebody for disliking or liking something you don't dislike or like. No, for sure. And I mean, this is why with this is why I said like, oh, I think Seed of Shucky is one of the worst movies I've seen with a smile on my face. Exactly. These conversations are fun, right? They should be fun. Okay. Uh, and and you know, I know that. You know, when you criticize Scream 2, I'm not going to be here and be like, what, you don't like Scream? You don't like the sequel to Scream? Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) You know, like, it's a Wes Craven movie. You know, calm down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, I guess going back a little bit, were you into horror growing up or were you mostly a comic book kid? Mostly it was more along the lines of horror. I didn't really do comic books until maybe 10, 12 years ago when I really, really got into comics. I mean, I would watch the cartoons from the 90s and stuff like that. And I remember Saturday morning cartoons. So I remember old, old, older stuff. Um, But yeah, mostly like I always had fun with horror movies. You know, you watch them with your dad and stuff like that. You know, like, okay, what, what, what can I get away with watching? I like, I remember watching like the reanimator in the eighties when it came out and I'm like, Oh my God, this is the craziest movie I've ever seen, you know, stuff like that. So I've always found horror interesting because you're scaring yourself on purpose. So when you can let go watching a movie and allow yourself to be scared, you know, you know, I think you get, you get a lot of it. You get that enjoyment out of, you get that adrenaline rush. Like, Oh my God, you know, you got to put yourself in the position of the person in that movie. How would I get away with this? Or, that's why, um, you know, like, what are the most horrible kills in movies? To me, The Blob, the remake of The Blob, scary as shit. Because when you get, when I do this, I don't know if other people, when you see somebody get killed in a horror movie, I put myself in the position of the victim. Okay, what would it be like dying that way? And I see the way pe- people got killed in The Blob remake, and it's terrifying. Like, I, it's hard to me to watch some of those scenes. I'm like, oh my God, that's just too too horrible so if a horror movie can make me feel that i really really enjoy it yeah cool okay so you mentioned uh the the blob and reanimate good picks are are there any other ones that like stand out in your head as like you you saw as a young i think the uh, two other obvious choices are the fly and the thing now granted three those are remakes three arguably the three best remakes ever made. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, those because those those movies are just. I mean, it's the Mount Rushmore of horror. Some of those movies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, but like those four, and like again, Evil Dead, big, big impact. That that pencil and an ankle still gives me the shivers. <laughs> yes, yes, Evil Dead was like a huge one for me. You know, and I, I was gonna say this about Black Christmas, which we'll talk about later. Like Evil Dead was one of those movies. Like I was a kid when I was a kid, I was into punk rock, and, and I don't know, Evil Dead felt punk rock to me. <laughs> I can't really explain that. Explain that, uh, but it really felt punk rock. Totally. So yeah, I guess uh, now that you've mentioned that you're so uh, into comic books, are there any like horror comic books that you think like uh, people should check out? This comic book, it's um, something is killing the children. Is that's got a huge, huge uh, a following right now. That's a good title. I mean, I, like <laughs> that's one of those uh, that sounds like a giallo or something. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at my big stack of comics next to me right now. Um, it's actually by DC. And it's called The Nice House on the Lake. And I'm about 
six issues in, and it's really, really good. And it's it's a horror comic from DC called The Nice House on the Lake, and I gotta give that a huge, huge recommendation. What was that first one? Something is Killing the Children? Yes. Okay. I can't remember who's publishing it, but uh, Something is Killing the Children. Okay. To transition, I always have like one question that sort of uh, transitions between the interview section and the uh, the movie talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to get your I wanted to get your thoughts about Christmas. Are you a big Christmas guy? I am. I, I do like Christmas. Um, sometimes it's a, it's a tough holiday for me, just from you know, a, I don't want to be cliche, but a shitty childhood. You know, around the holidays where it's like you know when the holiday turns into arguments. And stuff like that. Yeah. You know, which, which is one of the reasons why I don't have a close relationship with my uh, my parents and my brother and sister. Now my wife's side of the family. My wife's side of the family is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, because, you know, like the last Christmas before I went, um, when I would go home on leave because I was in the military, nobody did anything till 4 o'clock in the afternoon because my parents were arguing. So that was kind of always my childhood. So it sucked. But as the year has gone by and ever since I met my wife 20 years ago, actually this Christmas right now will be 20 years ago that she took me home to her family and we were just friends. So th- this is a special Christmas for me because it's 20 years that I've been happy at Christmas. Awesome. Now, so – and now that I have grandkids, my whole – I don't care about – you don't have to get me anything. I want to see my grandkids open presents on Christmas Eve, yes. Christmas morning. That's the <laughs> yeah, best. Sure. To me – that's the best thing in the world right now, watching my grandkids open presents on Christmas morning. So yeah, that that's what I look forward to the most now. Yeah. Awesome. I love Christmas. I, I, I love being with uh, both my family and uh, my fiance's side of the family. Uh, everyone's mm-hmm. lovely. Uh, love it. If we could have those two days, uh, that would be great. Uh, what I don't really care for is like the run up to Christmas. I get really anxious about buying presents and 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 things like that. Yeah. Um. But I, I don't know. A lot of that, I guess, is on me as well. But then you think about like how how commercial everything is, and then you know they're trying to trying to get you to buy stuff. That makes sense. I don't know if you guys um you you know what Black Friday is, right? Oh yes. Here, you know, day after Thanksgiving, they call it Black Friday. Yeah. And you see videos of. These crazy people like knocking people over to save 20 bucks on a television. And with my anxiety, that part really just settles me wrong. Yeah. I was like, that's not what Christmas is all about. It's about family and stuff like that. But, and it's not about getting the most expensive present or saving all this money on stuff that you don't really need in your life. But yeah, it's the commercialization of Christmas that, you know, puts a damper on it. So I totally understand what you're saying. Yes. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Black Friday because that was going to be my next point. Uh, Black Friday comes after Thanksgiving, right? But we don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but, 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 but of course all the brands have adopted Black Friday. So we do have Black Friday, but it's like, what, you know, Swedish people who have no reference to American culture will be like, like what the hell is this thing? <laughs> Uh, yeah, totally. Yes, and and I mean this is part of like the whole world is getting <laughs> global globalization and all that. Yeah, it's it's been super strange seeing Black Friday become such a huge thing over here because uh, when I was a kid, it wasn't. And especially now, because now those deals aren't even special anymore. It would be like only on this day you can save X amount of dollars on X. Yeah, but now because of um, cyber, you know, people buying stuff online. 
those sales start weeks before Black Friday and they go right up until Christmas. So you're not even saving that much money on Black Friday. Like yeah. There's people like the experience, but I don't feel like pushing and shoving to go buy a vacuum cleaner. To me, that with my anxiety, that's that's a that's nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Christmas as like, uh, especially over here in Sweden, where we don't have Thanksgiving, and it gets like the winter over here gets so depressing, man. Like it got dark at two, like two thirty. I saw the sun going down, <laughs> and you know, and I love the winter. I love the snow. Yes, I love the winter. I also love the snow. But there is no snow. It just gets dark. Uh, oh, there, really? okay. Yeah. I, I mean, there was snow like a week ago, uh, but it all melted away. And uh, usually the snow comes around January some, sometime. And, and by that point, uh, the sun starts to come up a little bit earlier and, 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 and it's, uh, it's real pretty. Uh, but uh, yeah, the darkness really will do a number on you. You know, um. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I've experienced like that is when I was active duty, and I was on my sh- on board a ship, and we were just up off the coast of Alaska. But it was on the flip side when I went outside like at nine o'clock at night to go smoke a cigarette, and the sun was up like it's twelve noon, right in the <laughs> yeah, sky. Yeah, yeah, that really throws off your you know I think they call it a circadian rhythm or yep, something. Yep. That really throws you off when you go outside at nine o'clock at night, and you can see behind me the sun is out. Yeah. When it's that bright outside, that really it, it messes with you. Yes, um, it's okay now that I work from home because I can just go out to the balcony or I can go take a walk or whatever. But when I was um, in the office, like that would be real depressing. Of like, you get up at like seven, it's dark outside. You drive to work, it's dark outside. You get into the office, uh, <laughs> you know, that's when the sun comes up and then it goes down while you're still in there, and then you go home and you drive home and it's dark outside. <laughs> <laughs> and you get no sunlight. But, you know, the upside of that is in the summer, the the sun is out here, all, you know, all the time. <laughs> you only have like a couple of hours of darkness. Great. That, that, that's been cool. Black Christmas from 1974. Same year as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, big, big year. <laughs> big year for slashers out here. 1970s, yeah. Like I said. People forget about the. They say the early, you know, the first slashes were like, you know, Halloween '79 and Friday the Thirteenth and '80. But this, you know, real horror aficionados know '74 was, you know, Texas Chainsaw and Black Christmas. Yes, for sure. It, you know, this is I. When Josh uh, from Movie Timelines was on the show, we talked a little bit about like getting into Italian horror and like and like going down the path of horror. And I feel like. My first step on that path was watching, uh, well, no, maybe not the first, but like my second or third step was staying up and watching like a Halloween movie marathon. Um, and I sat, sat, <laughs> sat in our living room and I would watch like four or five of these like Friday the 13th movies or Halloween movies. And I felt like my next step in the death path down of horror was going online and seeing, okay, well, I really like Friday the 13th. I really like Halloween. What else is there? And finding things like Black Christmas. And I feel like nowadays, maybe maybe Black Christmas is talked about a bit more than it was like 
10, 15 years ago or whatever, because when I found Black Christmas, I thought like I had found this movie that like, oh, no one's talking about this. But of course people were. Uh, I just weren't in contact with them. So I guess this is a long lead up to the question, uh, when did you first discover Black Christmas? Well, like a bear, you know, this is a little embarrassing. I don't think I first watched it, but a few years ago. It's one of those movies I heard about, I knew about it, but I never got around to it. Because, you know, on like, you know, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, you know, even a Bay of Blood, you know, I I, is, I knew about. But I, I never really got into Black Christmas. I'm like, a few years ago, I was like, you know what, let me sit down and watch this. And I was so ashamed of myself afterwards. I was like, I missed out on this movie. This is so good. I think I watched it like three times the first week because I just enjoyed it so much. You know, I was like... This is incredible. You know, and you realize everything that movie started, the point of view shot, you know, the caller in the house, everything that this movie did it first. You know, this movie, and you can see how this movie influenced John Carpenter in Halloween, especially with that breathing and the point of view shot, directly influenced by Black Christmas. And yeah, I could talk about this movie, you know, for hours, everything I love it, even the score, the acting, you know, the cinematography, the writing, it, the humor in it, it just has so much to offer. So I, I wish I had watched it years and years prior, but now it's, you know, become one of my, not all my all time favorite horror movies, one of my all time favorite movies in general. I love Black Christmas. So, so, so much of the conversations around the slasher movies, they start with Halloween. You know, Halloween comes out in 1978 or 79, and and after that, the slasher movie was born. Or you'll have people say, Psycho came out, and then years later, Halloween came out. And it's like, no, there were all these different movies in between uh, in the 60s yeah. and 70s that highly influenced uh, and created slasher genres. You know, you could look at a lot of stuff. Giallo, you mentioned a Bay of I was going to say Giallo, yeah. Giallo. Yeah, you mentioned a Bay of Blood. Yeah, Giallo is like a, a, a pin, you know, it's like a, a cornerstone. Giallo is a cornerstone in the slasher genre. A Bay of Blood, 1971. Yeah. I mean, think about it. And on all the others, so, I mean, so many Giallo films that came out in the 70s. That was like the heyday of, you know, Giallo. And without that, we wouldn't have Friday the 13th or Halloween without Giallo. Right. And it's not just like, oh, in Friday the 13th, they lifted some kills from from a Bay of Blood. Like, no, it's the formula. It's the, you know, so much of it is the same. Uh, And it's really, you know, it, it... it's really fun to go back to some of these movies uh, that are, you know, in in some ways like hidden gems. Like a lot of the Italian stuff doesn't really get talked about uh, as much as some of the other ones. And that's why I loved um, In Search of Darkness because I think it was part two of In Search of Darkness. They had a whole section on yes! Giallo. I was like, thank you. You know, because now all yeah. these people are like, wow, I got to go check out, you know, I got to go check out these movies like Demons. Oh my God, it's such a good movie. (laughs) Yes. You know, and I think, I don't know if it's a shame that people are turned away from it because it's all dubbed, but you don't even notice that once you start watching it and you're into it and you're missing out on so much. Yeah. You know, Demons and and Bay of Blood are like my top two Giallo films and there's 
there, you know, there's so much good s- stuff out there. Yes. Like the strange vice of Mrs. Worth, I think is another one of my favorite. Yes. Films. Yes. That one's real fun. Um, getting to, um, black Christmas. I mean, there's so much, even the way it starts. Like I just, I put it on this morning before the podcast, um, to be fresh and there's no opening credits really. It just starts with the title card, black Christmas, and it's silent, and the first thing you hear is the wind. Then you hear cowlers in the background, and then you see, you hear this person breathing as he's walking towards the house. It does so much to build tension and to build like, what am I looking at? What is going on? To me, that's such brilliant filmmaking. When you know, when you pay attention to the the auditory cues in it like one of my favorite things is the score like i was doing a black christmas watch party and jess was going up and down the stairs and every time she did on the piano in the background or the organ it was scales going up and going down i was like it just brings you into that movie i get excited and smiling because it's just so good yes no for sure um before I forget, I think we should set the movie up just a little bit. I think most people listening to a horror podcast uh, <laughs> will will know what Black Christmas is about. But uh, could you like give like a just a log line or or a quick plot outline? Sure. It's um during the holiday seasons. It during the holiday season. It's at a sorority house. You know, filled by a bunch of young women and. Uh, a bunch of them are going home for the holidays and, you know, there's a, a skeleton crew, so to speak, staying at the sorority house and they start getting phone calls from, they call him the moaner. You know, they get these really strange phone calls. Now, this is the 1970s, so it is before caller ID and all this stuff. And it's just this person on the phone doing this heavy breathing, saying really creepy, disturbing stuff, offensive and just like horrifying and they don't know who it is. And then just people start going missing in the house. And there's a backstory and how this one woman is looking for her missing child. A father is looking for his daughter who recently got killed. So it's – and you never see the killer. You just know people are getting picked off one by one by this mysterious killer who's making calls to this house with these really offensive you know, breathing sounds and really – what he's saying is nonsensical, but that just adds to the terror of it. Yeah. I I love that uh, they don't really explain anything about the killer and, and what he's saying. Like, you can discern some stuff. He's screaming about some Billy and an Agnes. But, like, there's, you know, the backstory is, like, it's not there, really. Yeah, you don't have to know that. They don't say in the background, because all the movies they've done, and you just hear a police report, an escaped mental patient, blah, blah, blah. You get none of that, and that's what makes it so – I think that's what makes it so terrifying is you don't know because the lack of you – know, the unknown is one of the most scariest things out there is when you don't know. And that just – when you know too much, it just takes the edge off, I think. And I think Black Christmas hits a home run with that. So I wrote in my notes that uh, Black Christmas is the scariest slasher of all time, and I would probably argue that maybe it's like – one of two slashers that has ever like actually affected me. <laughs> uh, I was rewatching it. It was late at night, curtains drawn, no lights. Uh, and let me tell you, this movie still affected me. I still thought it was 
at times really disturbing. Uh, and for you know a movie from the seventies to do that today is really quite remarkable. And think of this movie came out in nineteen seventy four, and like when I watch an older movie, I try and put myself in that decade of technology and what was out there and whatnot. Because if you watch it now, comparing it to 2021, soon 2022, oh, they can easily trace that call, this and that. But you got to put yourself in the 1970s where you don't have all this technology and stuff going on where everything is just so unknown. You know, you, you couldn't do anything about a crank caller other than hang up. You know, most police officers are not going to trace the call, you know, and that thing at the end when the calls are coming from in the house, putting yourself in her position, it is scary. It's terrifying. And think, put, you know, being home late at night and the phone rings and somebody's doing this and you don't know who it is. That's terrifying. It it It, it is terrifying. And I think a movie that can sit with you after the movie's over, you know, you can watch a movie, turn it off. Okay, that was okay. But this is a movie that can sit with you, especially that ending. That ending is still disturbing. I've watched the movie about five times, and that ending is still, you get a sick feeling in your stomach at that ending. You're like, oh, crap, poor Jess. And, like, when a movie can do that, it's something special. Yes. I mean, it manages to be so utterly bleak and disturbing at the same time uh you know that is something that i think that this film does really well and 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 that's one of the reasons why it's stuck with me is that it feels very unsafe and like dangerous like you feel for these girls right like something i think a lot of slashers really after Friday the 13th and it became like all about the body count it stopped um, the slasher genre like stopped having a sense of realism uh, and in, in, in this one like because you know Billy if if now Billy is the killer or if he you know, I, I, me, I, I call him Billy myself Billy is like he's a smart killer it's so scary like he waits until people are saying i'm leaving now or uh i won't be back for a couple of days you know he's listening to all these conversations and he's waiting for the exact right time to pounce there's there are moments where he is getting ready to kill someone and then he backs off because uh it's not the right time and this is something that i'm like i'm thinking about and i'm thinking about the 70s as and you know this is this is fucking this is dark but i'm thinking about the 70s and, and and 60s and 70s in particular as like a heyday for serial killers yeah. and, and the fact that like a lot of this you know you can you can i think the main criticism i hear about black christmas the 74 version is that why did no one check the entire house uh, when the police get there at the end, why don't they check the house? When, or just the first time, why don't they check the entire house? And a lot, and if if you've seen like any true crime documentary, which, hey, if you don't want to watch that stuff, that's fine too. But if you've seen any true crime documentary, you'll know that serial killers got away with what they did because of shoddy police work. That's most of the reasons why a lot of serial killers weren't caught. Mm-hmm. Um 
jurisdictions didn't share um, sh- share their details about certain crimes, and so serial killers moved, or you know, a lot of cases were dismissed as runaway kids. When a killer is smart, they will of course prey on victims that they know, yeah. you know, they they will 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 not attract attention to themselves, right? So they'll go after people who are in vulnerable positions, and in this is really like key to to what works about Black Christmas yeah. because no one takes these girls seriously, not until a man shows up and and says, "Hey, you need to actually do something about this." And 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 like I thought about that, and I'm like, "Oh, this is an interesting uh, co- uh, coincidence." Because you know, as I was watching it, I I paid attention to the credits and I realized that it was uh, written by a man. So the first time that happens, I'm like, "Oh, that's that's pretty." Cool, very, way ahead of its time. Cool coincidence, and then it happens again and again. And I'm like, oh, this is a very feminist movie. <laughs> and they just like, oh, just brushing. Oh, just he's a crank call. Just hang up on him and ignore him, and he'll go away. They're just being dismissed, and that was the culture at the time. You can't watch this movie in the eyes of somebody in 2021. That was the culture at the time, just like you said, where there was shoddy police officer like. A famous serial killer in the United States is Jeffrey Dahmer, and he could have been caught when somebody escaped his apartment, but he convinced them, oh, no, it's just my friend. He's drunk, and the cops are like, okay, because the guy was charming. Yeah. So that was the culture at the time. Same thing with Ted Bundy, a notorious serial killer. Yep. He was this charming man. Like you said, he went after vulnerable targets, these young single women alone late at night. And that's why Black Christmas, it takes these women and makes them very, very vulnerable. I was talking about how it's a very feminist movie. There's also the angle with the Olivia Hussey character. I am really bad with character names, but I'm good at, at actors' names. Uh, Jess. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the Jess character, uh, there's a B-plot um, where she is pregnant and uh, she wants to abort the baby her jerk just jerk of a boyfriend uh peter right yeah yeah um he does not want this and is uh very much you know a lot of the movie uh the characters sort of you start sort of think that maybe they're thinking that peter is the killer because he does not want her to abort this baby it's also, you know, way ahead of its time. This is 1974, right? Uh, if if that was a plot line in a recent horror film, uh, I would not be surprised. But 1974. Yeah, and here she was as soon as Jess, you know, she tells Peter she's pregnant. And she's like, I'm getting an abortion. Didn't discuss it with them. And he's like, well, hold on a second. You just can't do that. And she's like, you can't tell me what to do. For 1974, that's big. Yes. Not for 2021, but for 1974, that's big for a young woman to tell her boyfriend, I'm going to get an abortion. You can't do nothing about it. And he did what was probably normal at the time, like, well, I'm going to stop you. You know, no, no matter what, I'm going to stop you from killing, the, you know, killing this baby. So, yeah, there is a definite, you know, feminist agenda in it. And I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm saying that it's done really well. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just interesting because you, I I was very much thinking about it in the way that like, um, slashers would get 
discussed in the 80s. Like Ebert and Siskel would be on, you know, reviewing these these slasher movies saying like, oh, slasher movies hate women. And, and like, look, I'm not going to sit here and say that slasher movies in the 80s were feminist. That's not my place. Uh, but it's interesting to see like, you know, very much the birth of the genre in the seventies having very feminist roots. I think you could argue kind of the same for Halloween with Laurie Strode and, um, as well. Uh, and then seeing it morph into something else in the eighties. And that's funny. You met your, uh, Siskel and Ebert. How they, they panned horror movies. They hated them and hated them, but they give Henry portrait of a serial killer, which is a terrifying movie. Two thumbs up. That's a that's a hard movie to watch more than once. <laughs> yeah, but they love yeah. that movie with Michael Rooker. I mean, it's a fantastic movie. I just can't watch it again because it's it's so disturbing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's strange. You start talking about like what is entertainment and what is like. Hey, if a movie where people die are is supposed to be entertaining, entertaining is that bad? Uh, which I think was the angle that they had. But it, yes, yeah. I mean. Looking back on it now, it seems very strange. And I guess something I mentioned before, like um, Black Christmas, you know, as I said, like Black Christmas to me when I watched it for the first time, it felt very punk rock to me. Um, obviously, there's the feminist angle, um, but I also feel like putting your bleak, depressing, dark serial killer movie on like placing that movie on Christmas really feels like it's saying something. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. And you know, I don't know how intentional that is, but there had to have been some discussions about, you know, people are really crazy about Christmas. It happens every couple of years. Something happens around Christmas where people are like, what are they doing to the sacredity of Christmas? Mm -hmm. I don't think you, write this movie and have it take place on Christmas and just have that be a coincidence. Like, I feel like that's saying something. Yeah. And cause the way, you know, just the title itself, black Christmas off of, you know, Bing Crosby song, white Christmas and the opposite of, you know, white is black. So you're talking about something, this is a bad Christmas, you know, it's the exact opposite of, what everybody want, want, you know, expects, and especially you know, with that ending, it's it, there's it's not a happy ending, you know. Everybody is gonna die, or you know, dies already. It, it's very bleak, and the way that they it starts with caroling, and then it ends with the caroling in the background is real. You know, Christmas is this great time of year, but it shows you the other side of the coin. What you know, there are horrors out there. People get so uptight around the idea of Christmas. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. I, I was going to say especially over here, but I know it happens in America as well. You know, Fox News has the whole war on Christmas thing, right? Yep. Of like someone lit their Christmas tree on fire and their story is not that it was a homeless man who had a mental breakdown. The story was about uh, that this was an attack on Christmas. Yeah. And it's not is that it's not a story on the homeless <laughs> epidemic, and it's not uh, a, a story about mental illness. It's a story that this is an attack on the the, the Christmas and our Christian values, uh, which are for some reason entrenched in a Christmas tree, which is not you know that's just a thing we made up. That's not in the Bible. Like what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, it's got yeah. If you look at the Bible and the birth of Jesus Christ, it. <laughs> Never mentions, uh, you know, stockings and a tree and all the other stuff, you know. 
Yeah. Actually don't know a ton about the history of this film, but I would imagine it it pissed quite amount quite amount of people off. I think even back in the seventies, people want to get a soapbox to jump on and, you know, you know, scream and yell about something to try and I don't know, what's other to just strengthen their own beliefs and everything. Yeah. People just like to be heard or whatnot. They want to attack a movie. I was like, a, a movie can't change how you look at the holiday. You know what I'm saying? Like a, movie, <laughs> yes. a movie can't change the history of a, it's, it's a movie. It's fictitious. We make these fictitious movies to soften the blow of real life, which is even worse. Real life is a lot scarier than any horror movie out there. For sure. You know, you know, as you and I discussed earlier, real life is way scarier than all any horror movie you can think of. And I think, you know, same reason I look at comic books and horror movies, it's an escape. I can live in this world where this crazy stuff happens and I'm still safe. You know, I think that's what a lot of people may like about horror movies. I can watch this and, oh, okay, Billy is killing these poor women. And you know what? Hey, I'm safe after I turn the movie off. And I do love, um, I think I love the humor in the movie. You get that little humor when, you know, in the police station with F.E. Fellatio. <laughs> Just the right amount of humor. In a movie, because if, if you put too much humor in a movie, it you know, is it a comedy or a comedy horror? It doesn't set well. But it had just the right amount of humor in it, and I really enjoyed that. You know, enjoyed that about it, because it, when you have that little bit of humor, it humanizes the characters a little bit more. Yes. They're not all just stiff and rigid. You put a little bit of humor, you see them laughing at stuff that you would laugh at. It humanizes them a little more and makes them more relatable and that's, I think, when you enjoy a movie more, when you can definitely relate to the characters. So much of this movie like uh, comes down to the performances. I think there's so many great performances in this movie. I mentioned oh. Olivia Hussey. Uh, Olivia Morgan. Hussey. I like. I fell in love with Olivia Hussey. Yes. After this movie, as Jess, she looks stunning, and just her portrayal at the end when the uh, cop calls her and tells her the calls are coming from in the house. She's screaming for Barb and Phil, two of her, you know, sorority sisters. I was just watching that. She legit looks terrified. Yeah. You know, it doesn't look like an actor. She legit looks, I mean, she's scared to go upstairs. She's calling for them because somebody's up there. It's just, that's one of the best scenes in horror that doesn't get talked about more. When she's screaming for Barb and Phil to come, you know, she they're not answering and whatnot. She legit looks terrified. Yes. And I mean, speaking of that scene, you want to talk about like decisions in horror movies? Like I, it's very easy for the viewer to say in that moment, like, why is she, you know, she's being told to run out of the house. Why isn't she just running out of the house? But it's like, what would you do if your two best friends were up there with a killer? Would you really just let them be killed? <laughs> you know, like that. Yes. From our perspective, like we know that they, they are, they are gone, <laughs> you know, but uh, in her shoes, like, yes, I would have probably tried to reach out to them as well. Yeah. And you, you see that trepidation in her, you know, Lydia Hussey, she did so well with that scene. Cause you see that trepidation, like she moves forward and backs up a little bit. Like, do I go up there and check on them? But somebody's up there and just, so well done it's just so good yes i mean i think it 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 all kind of feeds into this idea of like what i was talking about before of like the realism like this movie feels real in a sense i i believe the characters yep. i believe 
the fact that no one has discovered the bodies. You know, everything just works and it becomes quite disturbing. And I, I guess it's one of those movies where, they, you know, they're, Jess is the quote-unquote final girl, but that's before we actually had final girls. It, it's not a happy ending because they didn't get him. And like that's one of the endings that just sticks with you. You're like, because now you got to play what if. You play the movie lets you think what happens. You know, the movie lets you fill in the blanks. And it's terrifying because you fall in love with Jess. She's such a beautiful character. You fall in love with her. She's so strong and everything. And then you're like, oh my God. And it's it just it's it makes your heart sink. It's just like it she didn't get away because you just you have to fill in the blanks. And that's what's really what's scary. Yes. Uh, and I mean, th- this is such a, another thing um, I wanted to say was, you know, I was I, I was remembering to when I watched it like 10 years ago. And in my head, I remembered like, um, oh, all the girls in this movie were so gorgeous. And I'm watching it now. And I still think that. But I think it's really interesting that I came away with that. And they are not sexualized at all in this movie. Yep. But it's just the way that they care. Like to me, Olivia Hussey is just stunning. It's like you you fall in love with her in this movie, and that's just you know it it's that's a you know the big greatest compliments I can give her. Not that she's this. I'm not saying oh you're so sexy. Your portrayal made you so attractive. You know it's better than just saying you're sexy. Like your portrayal of this character made you so attractive and intoxicating. Yeah. I had, I don't know, I wrote down in my notes, nitpicks. For a Christmas movie, I don't think there's enough Christmas in this. Yep. Um, I, agree with that. I, I feel, you know, that's like the one thing I'll say about, because I know people don't like that movie. But Black Christmas from 2006, that movie is like, it's Christmas out the ass. <laughs> Every shot in that movie has some ornaments, has some flashing lights. Uh, it, it, they really went all out with like the set design, and that that was sort of the the theme of like the mid two thousand slashers, right? <laughs> you had had like the House of Wax remake that built like an entire Wax city, and it, it was like yeah, yeah, crazy. I also think this movie, like the humor in the first act, might throw some people off. Um, I definitely. You know, I ended up not minding it because the humor does go away uh, in the second and third act. Like, it very much feels like just a natural thing where, like, the humor is in the movie for as long as the characters have some sort of need or have some sort of feeling that they can be humorous. Uh, You know, after a while, they start realizing that things are very, very bad. I, I see I'll, – I'll, to piggyback on what you're saying, like with Margot Kidder's character, Barb, when, you know, she's so drunk and, okay, her, that's her character. She's drunk. It made her one-dimensional. And, like, you know, in the very beginning that like, you see her giving one of the kids, a young child, like, you know, sipping alcohol. I think he's schnockered. You kind of lose a little bit of that with her, you know, because that's her I, – I think you should have more of a character trait than just you're the drunk girl. Because then – when she when she dies, it takes that feeling away of the kill, because you didn't really get to know her as a person. A lot of the other characters you got to know, but I think I I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more character development with some of the characters. I guess, like quickly before we end, I I did you know maybe this is me being uh, 
<laughs> mean, mean to myself here, but I did want to touch on the remakes a little bit. Well, I, the funny thing is I saw the 2006 remake before I saw the original 1974. So my expectation, I was just like, okay, this is a really weird slasher movie with incest and just a person who is yellow and they're eating eyes and it was it was just gross. I liked the movie less after I watched the original. Like if the movie like if you called the movie Red Christmas or Bloody Christmas and just changed a couple things around, I would have liked it a little bit more, but then when I compared it to the original, I was like the the movie's not what it wasn't even a good remake, let alone a good movie. It was a remake almost in title only because you added another character. You made the person call Billy when the phone call, he was saying Billy. And you, you took the character and split it into two people with a weird gross incest angle and living up in the attic. You kind of gave away too much. And you took that ambiguity away for it. You know, that's how I felt in 2006. You took that ambiguity away that makes the first one so scary. And you put the. The girls in the remake were just the most unlikable plastic Barbie girls that were just there just for looks and then they get killed. It was just really uneventful. And then the 2019 one, I've only seen it once. It it wasn't even a Black Christmas remake, really. It had so little to do. I think to me it was only Black Christmas and title. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and in the title itself, it had so little to you can't you would never watch that. Let's say I put two movies on. You watch these two movies. I don't tell you the titles. You would never say that the 2019 Black Christmas is a remake of the 1974 if you didn't know that. You could never look at it and say, oh, this is a remake or a reimagining because they just have nothing to do with it. Yeah, things. I mean, I, it's so fascinating. I watched the 2019 one last Christmas and uh, yeah, it, it really, it doesn't hold any resemblance. Uh, you know, there's the sorority angle, right? But, and it said on Christmas. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of it, which was strange. Like I, that director, I forget her name, but uh, she did another movie that I really like called Always Shine, which I think is a great, okay. it's a great thriller. So, like, I would be very interested to hear what happened in the production of that movie, um, because when I read that she was making a Black Christmas remake with Blumhouse, I'm like, okay, I'm in. See, Blumhouse, I like Blumhouse is solid. <laughs> yeah, um, I really like that director's other movie. So that would be fascinating. Slam, I don't want to slam the 2019 because people just want to slam it for being a feminist movie. It's, it's got nothing to do with that, but just when you hand fist an agenda so much, I think the media, I'm going to blame the media on it and other reviewers. I think they saw a lot that wasn't there in that movie. It wasn't as ham-fisted as everybody thought it was. And when you go, when you you want your movie to be known for that, it takes away from you know the actual crux of the movie, and it just becomes another movie, not a remake. But yeah, that's 2019, and then and then Black Christmas 2006 is like one of those movies. I I don't know. I've seen that movie so many times. I don't know why I've seen it so many times, but I've probably seen it like five or six times it's you know it's a holiday horror so uh and it's pretty i mean it's disturbing but it's like it's stupid it's really stupid 
<laughs> so it's not like Black Christmas, the original, where I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, this is dark, this is depressing. Uh, the the 2006 one, um, I don't know. I it looks good, and and I people give that movie so such a hard time. It's got the curse of the remake. When a movie is remade, yeah. Uh, when a classic movie is remade, it's held in such high regard. That's why there's only a handful of great remakes that are known for being fantastic, like The Thing, The Fly, um, even The Hills Have Eyes, and The Blob. Those are four remakes that are equally as good, some can argue better than the original. And because, you know, it's so hard to do a remake well, because there's so many remakes out there that are just pure garbage, like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. I vehemently hate that movie. You know, there are so many remakes that are just trash. Yes. And I sometimes <laughs> I think it's better if you just change a couple of things and just call it Bloody Christmas. And it could pay homage to Black Christmas with a couple of things. But you're trying to rock. You're going to get people to see it because you're calling it Black Christmas. You're saying it a remake. So you're going to get views because of that. Yeah. But you, just, you could have called it Bloody Christmas or Yellow Christmas since the guy had jaundice <laughs> in it. And just pay homage to Black Christmas. It may have done better, but it falls into the trap of a remake where you're going to compare it to the original. Well, okay. Here's the thing I actually wanted to say about uh, Black Christmas 2006 before we wrap up. I think like the – okay, there's a through line here uh, throughout the episode with like uh, – I don't know if I actually said this, but Child's Play 2 is like by far my favorite Child's Play movie. And I like that movie because it's so mean. It's such a mean movie. Uh, I like Black Christmas because, it, it, you know, the original. Uh, it's a very mean movie. It's disturbing uh, and, 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 and pretty mean. And, you know, I think Black Christmas 2006 – sort of channeled that through what horror was at the time. You know, I think you could very much look at that movie and compare it to the Halloween remake, which I know you, you said you liked. That, that, that's a good, you know what? That's a valid point. It's a mid 2000s remake. Like I think Rob Zombie's Halloween came out in 2007 and it was really brutal and violent way more so than the original Halloween. So I could tell, yeah, it was a, that's a great viewpoint. It's a mid two thousands remake where it's a lot more brutal and violent than the original. Yes, and and for some reason, like like with the Halloween remake, like I I I don't know if I love that movie, <laughs> uh, but I did have a fun time watching it. I've seen it a couple of times. Like it's not one of those movies that I just hate. Uh, and in just in general with Rob Zombie's stuff, I tend to um i don't know I, I that's just type of movies i like i don't know i love devil's rejects is one of my favorite i love that's that's his movie that i've seen the most i've seen the devil's rejects at least a dozen times yes <laughs> yeah i i guess uh you know i i consider myself a pretty kind person and very open but in the, ty- in the types of movies i like I, I apparently like very mean movies and yeah i guess that goes hand in hand with what i was saying earlier about liking giallo and stuff like that yeah, true. Yep. All right. Before we wrap up, do you have anything else you want you wanted to say about Black Christmas? I know you took notes. Um, just yeah, I think I talked about all my notes, but like I spoke about how I love the score. There, there was a lot of attention to detail with the score. Like I, I really don't know music that well, but like when they, when Jess would go up and down the stairs, 
to me, it sounded like increasing and decreasing scales, like on the piano. And I found that so interesting and just yeah, like the, the, um, and the way the score was, uh, behind the phone calls, it just, it had this foreboding tone. And even when Peter is playing the piano, it's this dark, dark, you know, and he's playing really aggressive and it just, it builds the ambiance of the movie so well. I, you know, I like that people don't talk about the scores a lot in a movie and the score of Black Christmas is one of my favorite in horror. The score is, is really great in this movie. There's a scene where Peter, uh, after he's talked to, um, after he's talked to Yes, and she's saying, I'm going to abort this baby, he gets furious, he starts smashing his piano, and it's in this, uh, uh, you know, piano concert hall, it's very echoey, and he just starts smashing the piano, and it's the loudest sound you'll ever hear. It's like, you know, think of <laughs> what sound a piano makes when it's being smashed. I, I can hear it now, I just watched it earlier, and I can hear that scene now. Yes, and that sound is really unsettling, and it it comes back uh, over and over again in the score, and it's so it's so well done, uh, the way that they keep you know calling back to that scene where where it's just the smashing of the piano, like dong, and um, yeah, with tons of distortion on it and everything. And actually, I think it's after that scene where, you know, nothing really scary is happening in that scene. He's just smashing the piano and it's just this really loud, um, uncomfortable sound to hear. And then it like hard cuts, a lot of hard cuts in this movie, uh, <laughs> uh, sort of showing its age a little bit. But um, the art of the hard cut, when a hard cut is done really well, it's really effective. And I think it's when he's smashing the piano uh, and then it cuts to just Billy in the attic and he's going insane. He's just smashing everything. And it, it's sort of, you know, in a lesser movie, I think I would have called that like one of those sheet like jump scares uh, where I'm like, well, it's just cutting to something. And now he's screaming. But it, they did such a build, good job building tension with uh, uh, with him smashing the piano and everything. And then it, So when it cuts to Billy and he's screaming and the way he screams, like, I, I can't do it. it. It's just it's so unsettling. And also during that scene when Billy's going nuts. Then it cuts to Jess listening to the carolers. So you get this beautiful angelic voice and it's snowing and then it jumps to Billy. Yeah, I can't even, I don't want to do this justice. He's screaming and going nuts and that seesaw is just, it messes with you and it just, it's so good. <laughs> yes, and that was another thing I wanted to say about like the sound design, you know, so much of horror is, is sound. Uh, you know, the noises he is making it's not it doesn't sound like a person uh pretending to be uh psychotic or whatever you want to call it it really sounds deranged and i remember hearing how bob clark did those sounds and i can't remember now i'm gonna have to go look into it afterwards what he did on those phone calls to make it sound so unnerving he did something special too and i have to look Next, I can't remember what Bob Clark did to make it sound so unnerving, and it was it's gold. I think that's a good place to sum up. Um, do you want to shout out your YouTube channel and and uh, anything else you want to? The floor is yours. Um, yeah, if you can please check out my YouTube channel. I call it Your Friendly Neighborhood Uncle Pete, and my movie series is called Nails in a Coffin, where I do a kill analysis, judging the sometimes stupid decisions victims make in horror movies. 
And like I said, I rated from one nail in a coffin to four nails. I've only been doing it four months, but um, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm pretty consistent with my videos, about one up a week. And we're recording this in mid-December. And by Christmas Eve, I'll have my coverage for Black Christmas up from my nails in a coffin going over the kills on it. So, yeah, just check me out on YouTube, your friendly neighborhood Uncle Pete. And if you listen to this, stay happy, stay healthy, and uh, take care of yourselves. If you have any questions about the show, hell, maybe even you want to be on the show, you can reach out to me. I am at Guest of Horror on Twitter and on Instagram. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.